Welcome everyone to another week of Fair Territory, and yes, the deadline approacheth. We're getting close now. We're about two weeks out, and things are starting to change and change rapidly. We're going to talk a lot of deadline issues today. We're going to start off with what I wrote about last Friday, a couple days ago. And what I wrote about was a group of teams, I called them the Uncertain Six, that I felt were facing a critical period as we go forward here with the deadline coming. The teams were the bubble teams, right? The Red Sox, the Cubs, the Mariners, the Angels, Mets, and the Padres. Now, I included the Padres in that mix, but I really didn't feel all that confident about it because I felt this team is all in. They're not going the other way. They're not really on the bubble. Their owner, Peter Seidler, is relentlessly optimistic, always wants to fire, always wants to go. I have a hard time seeing them sell. Well, things change quickly this time of year, and things change quickly for the Padres this weekend in Philadelphia. They lost three or four. They are now 10 games out in the National League West. 10 games! And they are tied with the Cubs in the wildcard race, eight games back, and a half game ahead of the Mets. The Cubs and the Mets, those are two teams likely to sell. And you can look at the wild card standings right here. You can see where the Padres are. They're trailing two teams and, of course, the three that already hold wild card positions. Not in great shape here. So their next four series through July 30th, on the road in Toronto and Detroit, home against Pittsburgh and Texas. We'll see what happens, right? I don't know that they're making any decisions just yet. But let's look at how far this team has fallen from the beginning of the season. And yes, I know we could be doing the same exercise with the Mets, but I'm doing the Padres this week. We'll get to the Mets in due time. Might not be this week, but there's plenty to say about them. Opening day playoff odds. Padres, 85.3%. Current playoff odds, 25.7%. One in four, essentially. So what do you do if you're the Padres? I don't know that you buy... You've already bought and bought and bought for the last couple of years in free agency, in the trade market, you name it. So is it time to sell? Well, this is a team with an interesting group of potential free agents, to say the least. Josh Hader be the best closer on the market. Blake Snell might be the best starter. You also have Seth Lugo that you could trade to, another potential free agent. And another guy who was not a potential free agent, but certainly an interesting trade piece, and that would be Juan Soto. He is free after next year, after 2024. And if you trade Snell and you trade Hayter, again, we're playing this out for the Padres, and you trade Lugo, then why not Soto? Padres fans might say, well, we want to sign Soto. Well, good luck with that. He's a Scott Boras client, and Juan Soto, if you've watched him play left field this year, if you've looked at his defensive ratings, defensive runs saved, outs above average, whatever you want to look at, not good. He's trending toward becoming a DH. So if you're the Padres, maybe you spin the wheel again here, as A.J. Preller did in 2015, 2016. He's torn it down before. You can tear it down again. I'm not suggesting they do this immediately because, yes, there's some season left, but we've been watching this from them all season long. And I know they're averaging 41,000 a game at home. You do not want to concede the season. I get all that. And that's a virtuous way to go about it, honestly, to honor your fans who have bought their tickets. At the same time, you've got to keep the franchise's best interests in mind. 
I'm not sure this franchise's best interest are continuing to go forward with the group of players they have. They can dominate this market. It's a seller's market. It's going to be interesting to see in the next couple of weeks if the Padres grasp reality. As we go on, I want to talk about two other teams, much more successful than the Padres thus far, and much cheaper in terms of how much they cost, payroll, salary, you name it. The Brewers and the Orioles. The Orioles and the Brewers. These two teams are either at the top or near the tops of their division, and yet they're two teams that are unaccustomed to being major players at the deadline. Well, they're also two teams with no excuses this year. There are certain seasons when you have to go, and this is go time for both the Orioles and Brewers. And I'm going to go and start with the Orioles first. Remember how this season started? The Rays were 13-0. They were 29-7. They built a six-and-a-half game lead over the Orioles, and it looked like, man, the division would be a cakewalk. Well, you hear it all the time. It's a long season. And guess what? That lead the Rays have, it's down to one game. Let's look at the ALE standings. This is amazing to see. One game ahead, actually, the Orioles are in the loss column, but they've played fewer games. One game out in the standings, Toronto six back, the Red Sox and Yankees, the mighty Red Sox and Yankees, nine back. So here are the Orioles. They need a top of the rotation starter and a seventh inning reliever. That's where they are. They've got more young infielders than they know what to do with and more coming. So this is the time. And we thought last year might be the time, but they made some trades actually as sellers. Got Yenny or Cano in those deals. Can't fault them for that. That was a good move by them. So now their GM, Mike Elias, needs to decide, all right, which young players do I keep? Which ones do I trade? How do I go about this? Now, granted, we don't know what starters are going to be available just yet. We know some of the names, but more could become available, right? The Orioles are looking at this and saying, eh, we don't want to give up too much. Teams never want to give up too much. But Mike Elias has the ability, because of his deep farm system, to get virtually any player who becomes available. He is in that spot now. And this year, there will be no excuse, as I said. They have to fire. The Brewers, same kind of situation. They lead the division. They've had a great little run here against the Reds, gone 5-1, and one, series that were before the All-Star break and after the All-Star break. They are a team that is doing this almost with mirrors to some degree. No Brandon Woodruff, no Aaron Ashby. They are a team with a 5-9 through nine in their batting order that I don't want to be disrespectful to these players, but they're not established major leaguers. I'll put it that way. So let's look at the NL Central standings for another glimpse of how this is playing out. And with the NL Central, yes, there it is. The Brewers, 10 games over now. Lead the Reds by two, the Cubs by eight. Pittsburgh and St. Louis pretty much out of the picture here. The Brewers need a bat. Could be a first baseman, could be a DH third baseman, even an outfielder perhaps. They also need help in the bullpen. And this is a team that traditionally has not gone for it in a big way at the deadline. They'll get these piecemeal guys. Jonathan Scope, Eduardo Escobar, Mike Moustakas, who actually helped one year. They haven't done anything too dramatic, at least in a buy mode. We saw them do something dramatic last year in something of a sell mode when they traded Josh Hader, a move that basically wrecked their clubhouse. Can't do that again, folks. 
Now, Matt Arnold is the GM for the first time, replacing David Stearns, but he was Stearns' assistant. So he was part of all the things that they've done before. And I know when you're shopping at Kmart, it's unusual to start shopping at Nordstrom's. And I'm not necessarily suggesting they have to go out and get Max Scherzer if Max becomes available, which he seemingly will be. But the Brewers, like the Orioles, need to do better than they've done in the past. They need to take a different course. And it's hard for these teams. They are very protective of their young players. But there comes a point for a team when you have to not only answer to your fans, but you have to answer to your clubhouse, your manager, your coaches, and your players. Because the way these guys see it in the clubhouse, we've put forth the effort all season long. We busted our butt. You've got to do that now to support us. Really, the Brewers need serious reinforcements. The Orioles are a little bit different. They need to be supplemented, but the Brewers need some help. They've had injuries this year. They've had young players come up, some of who have done better than others, but they're young. They need help. So in Baltimore and in Milwaukee, the heat is on. Time now for the inside dish. Usually in this segment, I go inside a story I've written or inside a story that's developing in baseball. I'm going to do something a little bit different this week. I'm going to go inside the All-Star Game broadcast, which I was part of for Fox last week from Seattle. We had a great night. And this is my 18th season at Fox. And I say this all the time. I don't really say it publicly, but to friends of mine and relatives. I am grateful for every inning of every game of every season. It's an honor to be part of these broadcasts for me. And it's a particular honor when we do the big events. A Field of Dreams, London Games, obviously the playoffs and World Series, and of course, the All-Star Game. Now, the All-Star Game for me is not a difficult event to work. Basically, I hang out at the end of the dugout, interview people from time to time. That's it. I'm not doing my usual reporting and notes and all of that because there's simply no time on the broadcast for any of that. But for our guys in the booth, Joe Davis and John Smoltz, our producer, Pete Macheska, our director, Matt Gangle, our senior audio guy, Joe Carpenter, and all the different people involved in the broadcast, this thing is chaotic. It's difficult. It's maybe the hardest broadcast they do all year. So the one thing that really stood out to me this year, just because of the way we did it, was the miking of the players and the effort that went into all of that. We had players miked seemingly every inning. It wasn't quite that much, but it was a lot. And we had two guys on the field, our audio engineers, Jason Knapp and Fred Ferris, and they were scrambling the entire time getting these guys miked and making sure everything was working properly. If you heard the broadcast, it worked properly. It was pretty much flawless. It was amazing to me how this actually got done in a smooth way. Now, you might say, ah, that's what people do in TV. Okay, but when you're changing microphones out all the time, not so easy. When you've got all these players coming in and out for Joe and John in the booth, there's a lot going on. There are elements. There are just a hundred things going on at once, but the audio guys were locked in. And I know some people will say, oh, stop miking players. Stop doing fun things. Uh, it's an all-star game. It's entertainment. Save it with that stuff. If you don't like it during the regular season, that's one thing. If you don't like it during the playoffs when I'm in the dugout interviewing players with their consent, that's another thing. But this, for goodness sake, is an all-star game. I thought some of the 
mic segments were amazing. Nathan Avaldi was a great one while he's pitching. Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman talking to each other. That was awesome. Josh Hader while he was pitching. All of these things were really fun. And again, it was just really impressive for me to just see this in operation. I'm basically just a writer. I'm part of this, and I've been a part of it a long time. But to see our people work the way they work, everyone in the truck, the cameramen, the audio people, it's quite a show. And it's quite an undertaking, and I dare say we do a great job of it. Now, a couple things. One, and I mentioned this on Foul Territory last week when I came on after the All-Star Game. My interview with Shohei Otani. Some A's fans on Twitter took exception to the timing because I guess it occurred while they were doing their sell the team chant, which, by the way, was audible. It was loud. It was impressive. Now, I don't recall the exact timing, but let me explain to you why we interviewed Shohei when we did. We have to wait, first of all, until he comes out of the game. So he came out of the game. The next inning was the time we could do the interview, and he had to agree to it. It's kind of on his terms, folks. So that is what happened. The timing was strictly coincidental. I had no idea that was when the chant was going to come on for Brent Rooker's at bat, the one A in the game. So forget that conspiracy theory. I love conspiracy theories. I'm all for them. But this one, not really. Nah, wasn't happening. Now, the other thing, and this is something that actually upset Rays fans, and understandably so. During the introductions to the game, the two Rays players, Wander Franco and the injured pitcher Shane McClanahan, were skipped over. For some reason, I'm not exactly sure what happened. Mark Topkin, my friend from the Tampa Bay Times, asked questions of Fox and Major League Baseball saying, how the heck can this happen? And neither, from what he reported, took responsibility for that. Seems to me, and I'm guessing here, I don't know the answer, I haven't really asked, that someone missed a cue, something happened, there was just some mistake that occurred somewhere down the line. Now, Rays players are often misidentified by television networks, and sometimes they have their names mispronounced, and those errors are inexcusable. You can certainly argue this one was inexcusable, too. I get it. But, again, I don't know that it's anything... Well, I know it wasn't anything deliberate. It just seems to me that it was a mistake that happens. I would chalk this one up to the perils of live TV. I don't know that it was a deliberate mistake. In fact, I'm sure it wasn't a deliberate mistake. It was more an innocent type of mistake. I know that doesn't satisfy Ray's fans. I totally get it. But at the same time, live TV. Things happen. On my behalf, I apologize. I don't want to see it happen. But by and large, I think we do an amazing job at Fox on these games. And if you're watching and you're paying attention to the All-Star game and you're seeing all the different things that go on, I just hope you can appreciate. Just take a step back and say, whoa, what these guys do, it's, it's pretty cool. And it is pretty cool. It's an honor to be a part of it. All right, time now for Dude and Dork of the Week. Dude of the Week, well... I'm maybe a little bit biased because he was on our Fox broadcast Saturday night and he had a monster game on base five times. But Mookie Betts, 10 homers in his last 18 games. He is seven shy of his career high of 35, which he established last season. He is playing at another level, even for a player who has already won an MVP. And remember, he's doing this while playing infield and outfield 
alternating positions on different days depending upon what the team needs. Mookie is having an amazing year. Now, I'm not sure he's the MVP. In fact, right now, he's not the MVP. It still goes to Acuna in my mind. 23 homers, 43 steals, 1,000-plus OPS. He's had an amazing season. And the Braves have had an amazing season. But it's a long year, and things could change. Mookie certainly is right there. What a great player. What a fun player to watch. And he's the kind of guy that I just never get tired of covering, writing about, talking about. It's a lot of fun. We do have an honorary dude this week, and I think you guys are going to like this one. The honorary dude is the Dead and Company drummer, Jay Lane. Now, the Dead and Company played their final show of their final tour last night, and there was Jay at Oracle Park in San Francisco wearing the glorious green Sell the Team t-shirt. Now, I've never met Jay. I'm not even a fan of Dead and Company. The Dead was popular when I was in high school. I was not a deadhead. I was not down with that. I had other tastes. But I respect, of course, the longevity, the amazing things that they've done. And I respect the great fans that they have and all of that. But Jay Lane for his Sell the Team t-shirt, honorary dude for sure. Dork of the Week. This one is a little bit more involved than usual, and I'll explain it. It's Major League Baseball. And I want to preface this by saying MLB is having a great year. Attendance is up. The rules changes are extremely well received, well done. No complaints there. This is a bit of a nitpick, but it's a bit of a significant nitpick too. It's the amateur draft that I'm concerned about. Now, it used to be held in early June, and that was problematic because it took place during the College World Series. wasn't great. MLB moved it to the Sunday before the All-Star Game, looking to get away from the College World Series, for one, and also to get more exposure for the draft. Understood. Not a bad thought. The problem is, the people who run these teams, the GMs, people below them, they now get no break. They go from the draft right to the deadline. The All-Star break was usually a time in the past when the draft was in June when they would get some downtime. And you're effectively crushing these guys. Now, yes, they make a lot of money. They're working in baseball, which we're all privileged to do. But it just shows to me a lack of feel for your own people, the people running your teams, that you would do the draft at that time of year, mid-July. When you have the draft in mid-July, the idea is to get higher television ratings, do a better job of exposing the amateur draft. Again, good idea. Problem is, are the ratings really impacted that much? Let's assume they're up. I can't imagine the ratings for the amateur baseball draft are significant enough to even make a difference if they go up. We're not talking about the Super Bowl here, folks. We're not even talking about the World Series. We're talking about baseball's amateur draft, which is not the NFL draft and is not the NBA draft. Again, no perfect time for this thing. I understand that. But I don't understand why you would risk burning out your own people, your best people. Makes no sense. This week on Fox, I'll be in Milwaukee for Braves at Brewers. This is a matchup I'm looking forward to for obvious reasons. We've got two first-place teams. We've got a potential playoff preview and we've got a city that is a great baseball town, a place I always enjoy visiting. I spent, as you guys know, a ton of years in Baltimore. I lived there, I worked there, and Baltimore and Milwaukee to me have some similarities. Baltimore is kind of 
a second city to Washington as Milwaukee is to Chicago and like a little cousin. And there's a lot of pride in that regardless and both great baseball towns. So I will be looking forward to seeing the Brewers and the Braves this weekend. Now it's time for Grilling Ken. Let's get to your questions. All right, this one comes from Brett. Oh, here's a good one. If Otani gets traded to an NL team at the deadline, which MVP does he win? So, Brett, this is a good question, and I actually asked the head of the Baseball Writers Association of America, Shai Davidi, who works in Toronto for Sportsnet, what the answer is. What happens here? And honestly, the answer is he can win both. He will be a candidate in the American League, and he will be a candidate in the National League, and if the baseball writers elect him in both, he would be a dual MVP award winner. Now, do I foresee this happening? I'm not even sure I foresee him getting traded. In fact, the odds are still against it, even as the Angels continue to kind of collapse. But if he does get traded, if he does get traded to a National League team, Seems to me it would be tough for him to win an MVP in the National League based on two months of play. I guess you never know. We'll see what happens, but it's an interesting question for sure. And if there's any one guy who can do it, yes, it is Shohei Otani. Next question. Let's see. From Sean. Sean asks, is there ever a time in which a contender should opt to not buy at the trade deadline? For example, these Braves are awfully deep, and I wonder if any significant additions outside of the bullpen could disrupt the team's cohesion. Sean, I like where you're going with this, and it's certainly fair to ask, but in most cases, teams will look to supplement. And for instance, the Braves, if they go get a starter, which is probably their bigger need right now, maybe a depth guy, just in case Freed and Wright don't come back as they want, they've got the young kids, not all settled exactly, they might want one more starter just for stability reasons. That's not going to disrupt the clubhouse. It's not going to mess with the cohesion of the team. I guess there are certain cases where that might be the case, but generally speaking, as I said earlier in the show, teams want reinforcements. When a team makes an acquisition at the deadline, it is generally well-received in the clubhouse. All right, this one comes from Jamie Pote. Jamie asks, or says, I think the Red Sox are buyers. Do you see them going after guys like Drew Smiley or Shane Bieber, controlled-type starters? Well, Shane Bieber is really questionable right now. just went on the injured list. I don't know that he will get traded while there are physical questions about him. Remember last year, Frankie Montas came back off the injured list. Actually, I'm not even sure he was on the injured list, but he came back, he had these shoulder issues, and never really got right. So teams are going to be really wary about Shane Bieber. Drew Smiley, if the Cubs sell, sure. He hasn't pitched as well lately as he did earlier in the season. I would think a Kyle Hendricks would be more attractive to the Red Sox. And yeah, you want a guy under more control if you can get him, but the Red Sox are two games out in the wild card race, tied with the Yankees. Two games out, tied for last in the AL East, but just two out in the wild card race. They're in a position where I think with some more pitching, and honestly, maybe two starters would help, they could be a very interesting team. All right, finally, this was a good one. Mosellox Shot Glass, the Goat Wizard 97. Thank you for using your real name there. I don't think either one of those is your real name. But if you were in John Mosellox's position, this person asked, do you sink the whole ship or you only punt on this season and retool for next year? I wrote about this issue a few weeks ago with regard to the Cardinals. My opinion, as I stated, was either they do one of two things. 
You go big in free agency this winter, or you make some significant trades. Because my feeling is this team does not need cosmetic kind of around the edges changes. They need to shake it up a little bit. And they're not a team that generally spends money in free agency, not big money. And frankly, they haven't spent it all that well in recent years. So if you're not going to do that, well, let's make some trades. Let's do some things. They have a ton of young talent and more coming. They, they are great at drafting and developing. That's something they do extremely well. Haven't been so great at trading as well as signing free agents in recent years, but where are you here? Paul Goldschmidt, after this year, enters his walk season, his walk year as a free agent potential to be. If you re-sign Paul Goldschmidt, you will be taking him starting in his age 37 season. What I mean by that is giving him an extension. After 2024, that would be entering his age 37 season. Do you really want to do that? I'm not so sure you do. And if you trade Goldschmidt, and you follow that by trading Nolan Arenado, and both these guys have full no trades, I get it. You have a chance to get some pitching, and some big-time pitching. Do I expect the Cardinals to pursue that course? No. They've already basically announced that they're not going to pursue that course. They don't do these kinds of things, these dramatic tight moves. Sometimes they do it as buyers, certainly with Goldschmidt and Arenado. Those are great trades that they've made in recent years. But in my view, get young pitching with those guys as your trade pieces. Surround your young core with those pitchers and kind of bring it all back up again. That is what I'd love to see the Cardinals do. It would be daring. It would be bold. And it's kind of the same problem I understand that the Padres face when you have probably an attendance of $3 million coming. You don't want to wreck your season. But actually, at this point, their fans might welcome it. I want to thank the fans for those great questions. Really enjoyed them this week. I want to thank everyone for watching on YouTube where you can subscribe and like us and also for listening on the podcast version of this show. You know how to do it there, too. Just subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great week, everyone. The rumors are starting to fly. Hey, FT Live fam. If you're new to the party on the BetMGM Sports app, enter the promo code FOUL, F-O-U-L, for up to $1,000 back if your first bet loses. It's simple. Ready? Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gotta use the bonus code, Valve.